Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, once that play happens, I think he was just so, uh, like, just mentally worn out and and distraught um, from that. And so I'm sitting next to him, and he looks at me, and he says, I choked. And I said to him, Brett, you're the greatest football player I've ever seen. It's been an absolute pleasure watching you play this year. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind. All right, it's Minnesota Sports Rewind, where we do deep dives into prominent Minnesota sports events. Games, trades, moments, you name it. And my name is Phil Mackey. This episode, part of a multi-part series about the 2009 Minnesota Vikings. And I'm joined by Judd Zolgad, who covered the Vikings in those days as a beat writer for the Star Tribune. Later on, you'll hear from Vikings kicker during that period, Ryan Longwell, who has an interesting perspective as he was warming up for a potential game-winning field goal near the end of the fourth quarter of the NFC Championship game. Vikings quarterbacks coach Kevin Rogers during that 2009 season. And Sage Rosenfels, who was in the quarterback room all season long as a backup, along with Brett Favre. And on this episode... We already did a full deep dive into the arrival of Favre with Sage and the regular season. And this episode is if you thought that was salt in the wound, that was kind of like the that was the romantic period. The arrival of Favre and the and the regular season. This is going to be uh the more scarred episode because this is going to be all about the 2009 NFC Championship game, which was one of the most heartbreaking games in Vikings history with about a million and a half subplots, Sage Rosenfels. And so I want I want to just just a quick poll of the room with Judd Sage and me. If you guys had beat the Saints in that game, do the Vikings win the Super Bowl against the Colts? Judd? Yes. Des- I say yes. Destroy them. Like, not even close, I think. They were, the Colts were a, I don't want to say a soft football team, but they were sort of the perfect matchup for the, you know, for, for the Saints in that type of game. Uh, I think we just, you literally run the ball down their throats. And if you thought we were harassing Tony Romo, uh, in the first round of the playoffs or whatever, I mean Peyton Manning was gonna. I mean, we, we we I think we would have beaten them by by two or three touchdowns. I really think that we were set up to beat that team really really well, and our offense was configured in a lot of ways to to really attack that style of defense. They play a ton of Tampa too. Yeah, I think we beat them by two touchdowns at least. My only question is this: if you beat the Saints. And go on two weeks after that to play the Colts. What type of shape is Farvin after that Saints game? Like, uh, I'm sure he would have played. I, I have no doubt in my mind he would have played. But just physically, he was 
destroyed to a he was destroyed in that game but you had two weeks and and you know i would say he was a fast healer but you know he was destroyed in the sense of like uh you know bruised all over you know you can play with bruises right you can play with uh an ankle that's really sore uh, but it wasn't anything where he like broke any bones, where he like le- legitimately could not play. So I think he would have been fine with with that two week break. It's it is looking at just the, the the team box scores. It's one of the most amazing. If you just if you take away final score and you say, all right, th- uh, thirty one first downs for the Vikings, fifteen for the Saints. Thirty-one first downs to fifteen. Yep. In maybe the loudest stadium I've ever been in uh, on the road in the Superdome. Thirty-one first yeah. downs. Four hundred seventy-five total yards to two fifty-seven. So a two hundred twenty-yard advantage. And uh, net passing yards three ten to one eighty-nine. Third down conversion seven out of twelve to three out of twelve. Time of possession thirty-seven minutes to twenty-seven minutes when you include overtime. Penalties. The Saints had twice as many penalties. Nine for 89 and Vikings five for 32. But then you look at turnovers. Five Five to one. Turnovers. We had six fumbles in that game and lost three of them. They had three fumbles and lost one. Obviously, Favre had the two interceptions as well. Adrian fumbled on the four-yard line or something like that, three-yard line. Uh, you know, there's there's different types of turnovers. There's turnovers that happen at the 50, which stink, but then there's turnovers that happen either like on the minus five or the plus five we had when that happened right there where it's going to be a touchdown and, and it doesn't happen. Um, that's why these coaches consistently talk about turnovers because you can do all these amazing things, but if you lose the turnover battle three to one, you know, if you just lose the turnover battle in general in an NFL football game, you lose like sixty three percent of the time. If you're if it's a negative two turnover battle, it's like eighty percent of the time you lose the football game. So turnovers, it's amazing what it actually means. Uh, despite the fact that we, it was a completely that's what I'm saying. It was a dominating performance, other than these turnovers. And the Saints then went on to beat the Colts. So I'm thinking to myself, well. We probably have that same type of performance if we, if we win against the Colts and uh, and we just dominate them yeah. in, in the same fashion, just like we did the Dallas Cowboys a couple weeks earlier. So I think just you know, on behalf of watching that game from a fan media perspective, I was probably 50-50. It's a road game going in. It's Drew Brees. It's the Saints. And this offense is incredible. It's a, it's a turnover defense. And I didn't have a great – and even like having covered and, and you know had, having been around the team in the locker room, I didn't have a great feeling going in, maybe based on the way that, that you guys had played in December too. And like, yeah, you beat the Cowboys. But as the game played out, it was very obvious who the more prepared team was, what the better game plan was. Going into the game, how good did you guys feel about beating the Saints? Did, was it a foregone conclusion, man, if we just don't turn the ball over five times, this is our game? Or was it sort of – this is going to be really tough. I mean, yeah, we knew it was going to be tough. We didn't know it was going to be easy. We didn't know we didn't think it was going to be a dominating performance by any means. We thought we were the better football team and we had better players and we we thought that we had their scheme down. Their defense, Greg Williams was the defensive coordinator. They had good players, but not a lot of great players. But they had like we had superstars on our defense. They had a lot of good players. So they were like a scheme defense. You know, we talk about whether it's these Tampa two teams or we talk about teams that play a lot of man to man like uh, Mike Zimmer does. Well, this was a scheme defense where they had weird fronts and weird blitzes and sort of overload type of blitzes that give offenses, you know, trouble. But if somehow you can pick it up, there were huge holes in the defense. But a lot of teams really struggled to sort of figure out this formula. And what was really interesting about it 
was, you know, you watch so much film throughout the week and you just sort of keep watching it and then you rewatch it and then you watch something else and and you're watching cut ups, you know, third downs and things. And, and it, it got to, I think it was Thursday night, um, of that week and brett and i were watching film it's you know a couple hours after everyone's sort of gone home at six o'clock or something and we sort of figured out that in this confusing three down look that they had and all these overload blitzes that gave these teams trouble that uh if you just followed where scott fujita was number 55 he was their linebacker and if you just sort of followed him and not really worry about uh, you know the, the the actual the sort of the X's and O's of it. You always knew that he was not a, he was not blitzing. So if he was on this one side, the blitz was going to come from the other side because you couldn't tell if it was going to come from the right or the left. It, it, it was like this really really well designed um, like it could literally come from either side, and you don't you didn't know which one it was. It was like a guessing game. A lot of people were sort of playing that guessing game, and you'd, you'd be right half the time, and then you'd be wrong half the time, and you get sacked and fumbled, and that's how they got to that point. So they were very like sort of opportunistic defense and confusing for a lot of offenses but we had sort of figured out that like late in the week i think we got this thing down i think we sort of like cracked the code uh and it was because of scott fujita because he usually wasn't blitzing when they were in this look and so we like sort of bring it to the coaching staff on friday we sort of made them into believers and bevel and and kevin rogers and and whoever else and you know brad really wasn't the childress was not really a part of that type of x's and o's conversations right so you were talking about o-line coaches but you had to we 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 thought we had this thing cracked or whatever but you had to sort of convince everybody else like hey you you know (laughs) so we're going to do this thing because we think this is the deal and and you know it's it's a little late in the week to you know it's it's, you don't want to teach a horse when you're in the middle of the stream right is the old is the old phrase i think (laughs) so it's a little late in the week to like make a change to the game plan but we did enough because we had you know a lot of smart guys you know our center john sullivan he was going to have to be the one to truly make that call because it was so loud that you know the quarterback couldn't communicate all that well with everybody, and so Sully was going to have to see it. But he was so smart; he saw it in the second. And so I really felt good about man. I think we we cracked this code, and we are going to wipe these guys up. Like I think I think if, if this goes right the way I think it's going to go, Favre and, and Sully are going to uh, figure this thing out. We're going to call the right play. I'm not saying audible, but we're going to protect it the right way, and we're and, and, and this then this blitz that's been uh, confusing everybody is going to be null and void, and going to give us a huge advantage because they had won games because of some of that scheme that Greg Williams had, and we thought we had cracked that code, and we did, and I think that's why we you know had, had 450 yards of offense. Sage, was there a uh, a period early in the game or a, a particular hit on Brett where? You guys either amongst yourselves discussed or you thought to yourself, this seems above and beyond the pearl of what would be a normal hit of a quarterback? Well, going into the game, there is already like some smoke flying around of, you know, the Saints hit somebody or or somebody did an interview. I don't know if it was Greg Williams or a player about like taking out the other team's quarterback. Like there's a stat if the quarterback doesn't finish the game, the the other team usually wins. And so I, I even feel like there is like the NFL had warned the Saints going into that game um, uh, you know, to to not uh, be cheap shot in the quarterback. So there, we already sort of had this uh, idea going in. I believe the first play of the game, Favre handed it off 
faked a reverse to Percy, or maybe he just gave a reverse to Percy, something like that, and then the defensive end came up and just smashed him like right in the chops, right in the face, you know, chest face area, and no flag was called. And that was, I mean, it was very first drive right off the bat. And it was on a run play. Our quarterback takes a cheap shot. And, you know, in today's game, just 10 years later, it's a whole different world of protecting the quarterback. It wasn't the way uh, that way back then, not nearly as much. And so, yeah, just as the game went on, um, he just you know took shot after shot after shot and some you know low high shots and things like that. You know there was a play where uh, you know the, Darren the, the now imprisoned Darren Sharper uh, hit Favre a couple times late uh, after he'd thrown the ball and and like you know with the helmet to the chest type of hits. You know again things, and Sharp didn't like to hit. Yeah. I covered him. He hated he yeah hated but, contact. Yeah, but blitzing the quarterback is a little bit different than yeah. like hitting uh, you know a tight end running down the seam that can hurt you just as much as you hurt them, right? Mm-hmm. So you know when you're a quarterback, you're sort of sitting back there pretty vulnerable. But he hit far a few times with the D lineman. Uh, you know all those guys. It was just uh, again like I'm sitting there going like I could not take the my body. <laughs> You know, like my, my, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not my parents' fault, but like I don't have these types of bones and tendons and like thick wrists and whatever that like Favre could take these hits and like I would break bones. Uh, and, and, but, but Brett would get up and sort of drag himself up and then bam, go make another incredible throw, uh, and then take another hit. And, and I'm not sure. I'd like to go back and actually rewatch the whole thing from beginning to end and sort of write down some stats and how many times he did. Hit, you know, take hits that were sort of unnecessary. Um, RO line did not do a great job pass protecting either. You know, it's one of those things, but they couldn't hear anything. I mean, you're literally playing this entire game uh, with really almost no hearing. Uh, it's it gives the defense a huge advantage, and then, you know that that team did have a good. Uh, not only a good scheme, they had really good players over there, and they played extremely hard and played really hard together. And uh, you know, and and they knew, and they knew that you know, if you if you, you if you do beat up the quarterback a lot, if you do take the quarterback out of the game, it is true you do have a, a really big advantage as far as the outcome of the football game. All right, you guys ready to go through the last five minutes of regulation? Let's here? do it. All right, you guys ready to ready to dive in? Who needs a drink? <laughs> Anybody? I'm gonna drink after. <laughs> All right, so this I'm is... I'm gonna go into this. Thing sober. <laughs> see, see it's going to be more painful. <laughs> so this is the last five minutes of regulation. All right, this is this is. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that this is one of the key sequences in the history of Vikings football. Right here, okay, because this is one of the six most prominent games in Vikings football history. Um, we could we can debate maybe later on here if it's the most devastating loss, but this is the sequence to lead to the loss. You guys scored a touchdown, Adrian Peterson, touchdown run to tie the game at 28-28 with five minutes left. And I remember thinking, my God, after all of the turnovers to this point and all of the, 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 the bad luck and also just the shooting yourselves in the foot, with five minutes to go, the game is now tied. By the way, I remember when we scored, I remember thinking to myself, it's like we always knew we were going to win this game. That that's it was like we always knew we were the better team. We're gonna win this game, and you see it in, in sports in general sometimes, in particular in football or sometimes in hockey or whatever. Like, all right, we're we're down a goal or we're down by a touchdown or ten points, and we're not playing very well. But like you know, just give it. We're we're gonna come back and win this game. We're just the better football team. So when we did tie it up, it was like okay, 
we're here. We're finally at like zero zero again. We've yeah, we said we've corrected our mistakes. Now we're sort of on the roll. We're going to go win this football game and go to the Super Bowl. And the first play defensively after that touchdown. So now there's five minutes to go. The game is tied at 28. And, uh, and, and the Saints get the ball at their own 19-yard line. And now they are embarking on a clock-milking potential field goal drive to win the game. And Ray Edwards sacks Drew Brees for an eight-yard loss to make it second and 18. And he fumbled. And he fumbled, and we almost got on it, but when their offensive lineman got on it, and and, uh, and so it's still their ball with a second and 18. So second and 18, completes it to Pierre Thomas for no gain, so they're just a little third dump off. Third and 18. We're at third and 18. Continue. With three and a half minutes to go here. And so now, like you know, watching this game, you're, you're starting to do some math as a fan, too. I'm sure you guys on the sidelines just tied the game. It's third and 18. Drew Brees completes another short pass uh, to Devery Henderson, who actually winds up almost converting a first down. He ran, and it wound up being a 16-yard gain, but he gets uh, either tackled or I think it was shoved out of bounds by Antoine Winfield, if I remember correctly, and you force a punt. And and Thomas Morstead uh, booms one down almost 60 yards, and, uh, and, and you guys wind up with two and a half minutes to go on your own 21-yard line with all three timeouts, game tied at 28. And let's dive into the play log. Let's go win this thing. <laughs> here it is. So, uh, you guys, uh, kind of, you know, dink and dunk here, just kind of a methodical drive. It wound up being a third and eight right away, and Bernard Berrien catches a pass for 10 yards, and then Favre hits Sidney Rice for 20 yards. Which, by the way, that throw, people don't realize that throw may have been the best throw of the game. That was the best throw of the game by Favre. It was, it, it, it not only like the time and situation, but the um, absolute accuracy uh, accuracy on the seam route on the right-hand side versus man-to-man coverage, which like seam routes aren't very good versus man-to-man coverage. So the window is really, really small um, and an incredible throw to stand after all. And, and the pass rush was coming down on him, and he makes a throw to Sidney Rice, and it was just a cannon and gets us out like, oh, my God, we're out to like near midfield. Midfield. You and, cross to the, and, to the 47. And continue. Yep. To the, so, now, so now there's a minute and a half left. Two timeouts to go. That 20-yard connection to Sidney Rice puts you guys at the Saints 47-yard line. And then Chester Taylor takes a handoff for 14 yards down to the 33-yard line with a minute six to go in two timeouts. Can we stop right there? So as we're running up to the ball after the Sidney catch, the sideline is going clock, 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 clock. Favre doesn't clock it. He hand, he calls a running play. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, if you're going to clock, you know, anyway, he ends up handing the ball off to, uh, to Chester and he makes this. And the defense, like, wasn't quite ready. They lined up, you know, wrong because we're running up to the ball and quick snap it and, and we end up getting a 14 yard run. So Incredible. That's, that's genius, right? I mean, so he sees defense scrambling. Yeah. Everyone thinks they're going to either clock it or call a timeout. Yeah. But if the defense is scrambling, Quick handed off. The thing is, you call a running play, you can still clock it. You know what I mean? So it's like his deal is like we might as well call a running play and get him off. So it's so so we uh, yeah we end up getting now we're, we're we're basically we're right in close to field goal range at yes. this point. And worth noting by the way here, as we're sitting here with a minute six to go, and 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 the Vikings have the ball on the Saints thirty three yard line with two timeouts. I think everybody watching the game, except maybe Judd Zolged. I do remember Judd uh, people telling stories about Judd still warning everyone in the press box. It's the Vikings. Well, that's when when Chip after that fourteen yard run, Chip leaned over to me in the press box, and you cannot hear yourself think like this is. I don't care how loud the dome ever got. This is the most natural noise I've ever heard in my life. 
And Chip said, they're going to the Super Bowl. And I said, Chip, just wait a second. Let's all calm down. Let's all calm down. I've seen this team before. So anyway. so It's Chip's fault. He jinxed it. He did. He jinxed it. Unbelievable. So I remember way, watching. They, they're calling timeout. The Saints are calling timeout because they want to have a chance yep. to maybe you know possibly get the ball back and, and have enough time for them to score. Yeah. After the well, and it, it wound up being moot because after the Chester Taylor run, the Saints did call timeout mostly just to gather themselves. That was their last timeout. I'm pretty sure that was their last timeout. Was, so yeah. even like that was timeout three. You know, it wasn't like they were nope burning their timeouts. It wasn't like they were going to stand a chance to get the ball back. Anyways, but I remember watching this thinking. Because the 1998 NFC Championship game, the whole season, you thought the Vikings were going to win the Super Bowl. So Vikings fans, you can you, you have all these little points as a Vikings fan where you just remember where you were when they ripped your heart out of your chest. And for some fans, it was in the 70s with the Purple People Eaters. For my generation, if you were born after about 1975, and I was born in the 80s, the 1998 game, you thought for four months, greatest offense in NFL history, Randy Moss... Randall Cunningham playing like an MVP, and you thought for four months, nobody's beating this team. Nobody's beating this team. And even in the second half against the Falcons, no one, and it was like the rug got pulled out with a minute and a half left or whatever it was when Gary Anderson misses a field goal. I feel like fans were more guarded in 2009 because I I remember watching the game thinking, I mean, all these turnovers, there's no way, there's no way, uh, this is just another Vikings club. And then all of a sudden, Sidney Rice, 20 yards. Chester Taylor to the 33-yard line. Two timeouts, minute and a half left. And Ryan Longwell, for the record, was 11, uh, 10 for 11 that season from beyond 40 yards. He had just become, over, over his career, one of the most consistent and reliable ice-in-his-veins kickers, with the exception of like one bad year in Green Bay 10 years before, and, and, he, and he righted that wrong. That was the first moment when I thought, and I think a lot of Vikings fans thought, oh my God. They're going to the Super Bowl. We're at the 33-yard line. We're in field goal range. It's a 51-yard field goal. So if we literally do nothing but just kick, you know, uh, uh, burn the clock or whatever and, and run it down and bleed the clock and, and, and then just kick this field goal, 51 yards um, was definitely in his range, no doubt. And to be honest with you, I, I think back, and I think I talked to Ryan after the game, I actually think Ryan from 56 makes it. You know, we're in a dome. And there was, you know, adrenaline is an amazing thing. And there's a difference between a Detroit Lions second game of the year adrenaline and then this sort of championship game adrenaline in that in that stadium. So I actually think he even has a chance to make it from 56. But, you know, it was that was, you know, out of what people thought uh, might be his range. But 51, I think we're there like we're far enough. Of course, you want to make it a 40 yard or a 35 yard. But we're is we're inside the range of, you know, I, I bet you he makes it 80 percent of the time a 51 yarder. What's the mood at this point And and what's the confidence like? Because that place was going crazy, it was noisy, and extremely hostile in some ways. But as you're going down the field, how did the mood change, and what was the confidence of we've just got this at that point? Um, the mood was like uh, you know Christmas morning when like your parents bring in this huge present. And it's over in the corner because it doesn't fit underneath the Christmas tree. And I say that as being like a half Jewish person, you know. But like you're so excited, like what is we're, it's right there? I want to open the thing so bad, <laughs> right? So um, uh, that's that's what that feeling was. Like we're right there. I we just have to like open the present. We just have to like finish this thing off. Like you know, uh, it's just a couple more plays. We're right there. We're right there. So here's the sequence. All right. So 
So Saints call a timeout, their third and final timeout, after the Chester Taylor 14-yard gash. You come out of the timeout, and it, it, it felt like from a play-calling perspective, the thought was in line with what you were saying, which is, all right, let's not get crazy here. Got a couple great running backs. Hand off to Chester Taylor on first and 10. No gain. Okay. Clock bleeds down to 25 seconds now. So 25 seconds left, second and 10. Vikings still have two timeouts left here. Adrian Peterson handoff. No gain. Okay. Now it's third and 10. Vikings call a timeout with 19 seconds left. Mm. My biggest issue here is I didn't feel 100%. Like when you have the ball in two timeouts at the 33-yard line and it's a 51-yard field goal, you have a great chance to improve five yards, eight yards, right? And I think handing off is the right move. You got unlucky. You didn't block well enough, whatever it is. They knew you were going to run the ball. And so now you sit here and you're still 51 yards away with one of the great field goal kickers. 19 seconds left, and it's third and 10. What's happening on the sidelines? Well, going back to those original, uh, the previous two plays, you know, they had every single guy at the line of scrimmage. They were in bump coverage. There wasn't like, you know, if we're going to throw a pass, it's going to end up being like a go route or something, you know, and, you know, they're, they're blitzing everybody basically. So, you know, calling a pass is dangerous because if we get sacked, that's the worst thing that could actually happen or a sack fumble or some tragic ending like that. So I think running the ball, it's the more conservative play. Uh, but I think at that time, in particular with, with Longwell's accuracy, and usually we could run the ball for two or three yards, you know, so to get zero on that, you know, not great, but, you know, not the end of the world. Of course, you'd like to have, again, like a, have a 40 yard or a 42 yarder to, to win it. But at that time, it's like, okay, we're going to run one more play. And for, you know, me personally, I was like, let's just not lose any more yards. And then we're going to kick a field goal. And that's that's the game plan. So I figured we'd run another running play, give the ball to Adrian, um, you know, have a what we call a protected run, which basically means you've got, you know, a tight end and a receiver and a fullback sort of to the side. So there's not some free runner, uh, like a safety or something blitzing where you can hit the running back in the backfield and make him fumble. So let's just have one of these more almost a goal line type of run. Just let's just, you know, shove it up in there and try to get one, two yards or whatever. And then we'll, you know, we'll we'll bleed it down to one second and call all time out and and uh and kick the field goal and and it didn't quite uh, work out that way okay you come out of the timeout out of a timeout and 12 guys walk on the field so how how how, how and why and what was why was it so chaotic and why was it why how is it that unorganized coming out of a timeout situation. So the the play I believe was called bunch right orbit H six Z snag, and that play uh, a lot of times this what we call H six protection is a protection where it's sort of like a, a short play action. It's really good in, in for man to man coverage and goal line and short yard situations. It's it's always a fullback in the flat. We've seen it a million times that you know the quarterback come out make a little slight fake to the tailback who then cuts the end of the man. The, usually the defensive end of the line of scrimmage he actually dives at his outside leg to get his hands down and then you have a nice view for this fullback in the flat uh the 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 linebacker usually who's has to man up on that fullback you know he has to he has to sort of play run first the the line is blocking hard sort of downhill uh action so he has to sort of play run and then work his way through all this traffic through the tight end who's running a corner route through Sidney rice who's running what we call a snag route a little five yard route he's got to work through all that traffic to then cover the fullback after you know this little run action so a lot of times ends up being open pretty good in man-to-man coverage in that game plan 
Uh, and you probably hear people talk about it when they're talking about, you know, the science of football and stuff and, and, uh, and different offenses. But, you know, you, you, a lot of times you run the same plays with different personnel groups. So you, you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. You just, you know, throw a different personnel group, basically run the same play. But for the quarterback, it ends up being the same read. You know, so I don't care if it's a fullback in the flat or it's a receiver in the flat. At the end of the day, it's still a flat route and it's a corner route and it's that little snag route. And so we, I, I walk up, I'm standing right behind Daryl Bevel. I'm, I'm hearing him call the play and he calls, you know, bunch right orbit, uh, orbit, which is a counter motion, uh, H6Z snag. And of course, I'm thinking to myself like, "Ooh, I don't know. I think we should just run the ball." You know. <laughs> so I remember like closing my eyes, turning around, going like, and people are like, "What's the play? What's the play?" I'm like, "H60 snag," and they're like, "What? H60 snag?" Okay, okay, let's do this. You know, it's like you don't want to sit there going like, "That's a terrible call." Yeah. You know, <laughs> like everyone's like, "Okay, I'm still on board, still on board." Like, yeah. let's do this. You know, like, okay, that's the play. <laughs> of course, most of the defensive guys don't know what no, they don't know what that means or anything. Um, so, you know, I think, yeah, maybe it was like Jared Allen's like, what, what are we running? Like, you know, I, backup quarterbacks, like the guy, like everyone goes like, what are we doing over there? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so we, we called this play and it was out of what we call zebra personnel, which is three wide receivers. So we have, uh, uh, Percy and Bernard and, and Sydney on the game, Shanko and, and one running back, Adrian, I, I believe. And, um, uh, but, uh, somewhere in the communication lines, uh, Somebody thought it was with the fullback in the game, regular personnel, of which there'd only be two wide receivers in the game and not three. And so uh, the fullback ran the field and Bernard ran the field at the same time. I, I don't even know if we came to the line of scrimmage. No, I, I, we, you, we just were 12 in the 12 huddle. 12 in the huddle. 12 in the it huddle. Was, yeah. We didn't even break. That was the call. We didn't even break the deal. So. Nope. You don't have enough time to really realize how bad, bad of a screw up that is. You know what I mean? Like it's it, they call it the penalty. It's like, oh my god, how'd that happen? Okay, what, like, what's the next play? Like you only have twenty five seconds. You know, after they do that, so uh, Bev went back to the same play and he called H six Z snag again with zebra personnel in the game. Now this time when we walked up to the ball, and I actually talked to uh, Jonathan Vilma about this who was their middle linebacker. He was sort of the quarterback of the defense. And when we came out in that bunch set, he audibled defensively. I know defense, they have some audibles too. And he actually audible to cover two because they were in man-to-man coverage uh, and he didn't want to be caught in a in a pick situation where he for the exact. I mean, literally, they what he did is exactly what you're supposed to do to screw up our play. And they called basically cover two, which you normally be like, why would you call cover two in that situation, right? Because that's crazy to call cover two and just allow an offense to run the football. We we just ran the ball. We probably would have gotten four or five or six yards. They call cover two, and and uh, and then that coverage, it's not usually a great because the 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 cornerback is sitting there sort of outside that bunch set and his job is he has the flat. He doesn't have to work through anybody. He can see the whole thing come right at him. So uh, when Favre comes out of the fake, Bernard is covered initially in the flat by the cornerback. And then his number two spot is to go to the corner route, which is about a 20-yard route sort of over that cornerback's head. And that's, uh, that's where Vasante Shanko is running. And, and he's not really open. Uh, and then, and then, uh, you know, the cornerback sort of sinks back, uh, to sort of cover that one too after a second. Favre at this time is starting to roll out to his right. 
And, you know, people on TV go, man, Bernard Barrington's wide open the flat route. So, um, but, you know, as a quarterback, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a one, two, three type of read. It's flat corner snag uh, is the read. It's not flat corner snag back to flat necessarily. Um, so it's easy to say like, oh, you know, Bernard's open the flat. Why didn't he throw it to him? Well, he was sort of covered off the bat, and then he sort of ended up being open late, which does happen on that play. Well, and then, you know, Favre comes around the corner, and he looks like he's about to run, and everyone sort of thought he was going to run, and, and then he sort of saw Sidney, uh, you know, flash, and Sidney was open. He saw him sort of flash, and what's interesting about where, where Sidney Rice was, you know, he was in that sort of area just outside where the tight end sort of lines up, and, you know, when he saw Brett run, defenders sort of left him, and he started to sort of drift in the other direction away from Favre, and then when Brett tried to throw, it's one of those deals where, uh, you know, it's it's like you know trying to buy a car you can't afford, right? So yeah. Brett thought he had enough arm strength, and I think his body was just shot. But you know, he'd always had so much arm strength he could make any throw. And when he threw that ball, Sidney sort of drifted away from him, and then the cornerback sort of you know stepped into that spot. And, uh, and and I think it was a nickel corner or whatever, nickel will or nickel Sam, whatever you want to call it. Um, but he ended up sort of stepping to that spot where, where Sydney had just left. It was like a little, you know, miscommunication type of thing on the playground. And, you know, shoot, that that interception almost got returned for a touchdown. I think John, John Sullivan ended up uh, tackling him near, near midfield. And, uh, shoot, they had a shot to, you know, maybe have a chance to, to win it right there at the end, too. If Adrian hadn't uh, fumbled twice in that game, and Favre actually got charged with the fumble where Adrian dropped the ball, I think, Sage, near halftime. So it was really three with one lost for him. Do you think Bevel runs that the ball there? Because no, that was I don't think so. I don't think they had anything to do with his mind. I think what they wanted to do was they just knew that the defense they really assumed the defense would be like they did in the first and second down where you know they're gonna be all up in there, you know, we're not gonna get any yardage. We might even use lose some yardage because they just have you know, so many guys in the box and you know, that that play is this sort of protected pass play. Um because uh, the linemen aren't really blocking, you know, people per se. They're blocking these gaps, and so you really feel good about like the backside, uh, really from like the right tackle. They all sort of slide to their left, but they sort of come down, and, and they it's really good. Uh, it's it's a, it's a it takes care of all the scheme. It takes care of all the the possibility of bad things happening. And all the quarterbacks has to really realize is, do I have two guys coming off the outside of the tackle? The running back only can block one, and the other one I can see it's right in my face, so I can always just get rid of it and throw the ball out of bounds. So it's a sort of protected play. It's like day one installation of your rookie mini camp. You install this play, so uh, it, it's a, it's a very safe pass. It's, it's probably the safest pass play for an offensive coordinator to run. Did he think about because we we watch on TV or from from up high, and it's very obvious in our minds just run run for five yards and slide and get down. Do you think he thought about running, or was he rolling out with the intent to pass the entire time? You know, time? there's this weird thing when you're a quarterback, uh, and I was in this sort of bootleg offense in Houston before I came to Minnesota, and, and uh, Alex Gibbs was our own line coach, and I had a, it was a preseason game, and I had this bootleg uh, to my left, and we're about the you know 15-yard line and, and maybe 20-yard line, and, and uh, again, just a preseason game, and I probably could have ran for you know 10 yards. Uh, but my receiver ran this great route, and he ends up getting open. I throw a touchdown pass to sort of the front pylon uh, to, to the left-hand side. And I was you know, super psyched afterwards. Crowd goes crazy. Guys high-five me. I come over to the sideline, and Alex Gibbs screams at me <laughs> for not running the ball. 
because that's the more that's the that's the right play, right? That's the play that you know keeps us on track. Yeah. So you know, because what if I don't complete that pass? Now we're at third and ten or something like that. So you know, if you can get those yards, take it. But as a quarterback, you, know, you come out of these fakes, you're looking to pass. You know, this guy's number one, this guy's number two, this guy's number three. Running is not a lot of times the first thing you think about. Now, on like third and short situations, that's always, you have to put, you have to sort of put that in your mind, like, hey, when I come out of this thing, if I can run for first down, I should. Well, in this situation, running for a first down wasn't going to happen. So it wasn't really, I think, a, a part of Brett's, you know, if it was third and one and the thing happens, I bet he runs for first down. But when it's third and 15, it's not really a part of your, uh, your mindset. And so I think for him to, you know, run for five yards, uh, you know, he wasn't really thinking about that. And again, you're looking at the receivers so much in the defense that a lot of times you don't really realize that there is this green grass or artificial turf in front of you that you could get five to yeah. seven yards if he did run. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's strange to say, but it does happen a lot because you're looking at so many things other than to run. And it's not the first thing that crosses your mind. And j- just real quick to finish off the game log so we can be done with that. The Saints get the ball in overtime, and and there was a terrible pass interference That's call on Ben Lieber. And- on, on, on a scale of one to, to Rams, the Saints, N- NFC Championship game 2018, Sage, where where did the uh, P.I. on Ben fall as far as the call itself? Oh, well... It was such good coverage, uh, and Ben's back was turned to the uh, turned to the quarterback. So mm-hmm. he was you know, use the word face guarding, but you know he was sort of uh, you know behind the tight end, but he was right next to him, and it, it was right by our sidelines. We had a great view of it. It was he he did he not one piece of uh, his body was touching the tight end's body, uh, and the I believe the 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 official that threw the flag was sort of deep down the sideline and so from his angle he just saw like Lieber right on top of him basically uh but it was absolutely a terrible call there was also a terrible call like on a fourth and one they went for it and Chad Greenway like met the the running back um almost like you're watching a movie about you know high school football or something where the running back jumps over the pile and, and Chad jumps over the pile and they smash each other uh, right at the line of scrimmage, and they end up somehow g- just giving them the first down because it was you know it's close enough. It's hard to review those types of things. That one could have gone the other way, but you know when, once that play happens, um, and as we go into overtime, Favre went over and sat uh, on those Gatorade coolers, uh, you know, right at the fifty yard line, sort of behind the bench or whatever, you know, by the phones and all that stuff right there. There's there's usually there's the there's like a Gatorade stand where they have all these uh, uh, paper. Um, cups of Gatorade, but then there's actually these coolers that a lot of times have like cold towels in them and things like that. So Favre sits on one and I go sit on the other one. The captains go out for the coin toss for overtime. You know, our captains that year were Longwell, uh, Hutchinson, probably Jared is my guess, and Favre. Favre did not leave the Gatorade coolers. Uh, I think he didn't. He was too exhausted to to walk out there. To be honest, with you. it doesn't really matter. It's like not like he's going to go out there and make some you know decision or anything. Those guys can handle it. But I think he was just so uh, like just mentally worn out and and distraught um, from that. And so I'm sitting next to him, and and uh, he looks at me and he says, "I choked." And I said to him, Brett. You're the greatest football player I've ever seen. It's been an absolute pleasure watching you play this year. And that was a story I told to Peter King. And that's when Peter King's like, I want it. I want that article yeah. you know, that you yeah. wrote that no one's seen before. 
and uh, we lose the coin toss. We don't get the ball. Uh, I don't think Brett and I moved from that spot. I think we watched basically the whole overtime. You know, pre- maybe I got up and like would watch a play and come back, but like he did not move from that spot. I don't think, and and uh, and we lost. And we're you know this kicker for the Saints, um, who was maybe one of the worst kickers in the NFL that year. Uh, he was uh, he had missed some a lot of kicks and was very inconsistent. Garrett man, Hartley. Man, he put that thing right down the middle. As soon as it left his foot, there was absolutely no doubt. It was right down the middle, uh, and that was the end. And, and as we walked off the field, and everyone sort of slowly walked off the field, and you know, I'd been in the league nine years at that point and never been that far in the playoffs. And I remember before walking the locker room, sort of right at the, the back of the end zone, turning around, sort of taking a knee, and I probably just sort of took a knee and maybe for 10 minutes, uh, you know, they're bringing the stage out in the field. The confetti's coming down. People are walking off the field. It was so surreal experience. And I wanted to not just walk in the locker room. And, you know, I sort of just wanted to see it all. I wanted to see almost the aftermath. And it, it was, I will never forget that view uh, from that end zone, from, you know, taking a knee. I, there's a there's a picture online of, you know, some, uh, some uh, photographer you know, caught me in, in that spot. And just sort of taking it all in. It was, it was, it was like an out of body experience. I had a couple of buddies who flew in for that game uh, from like Miami from my days as a Dolphin, and they were sitting, you know, upper level seats. That's what you get when you're an opposing team. And they said people were crying, like New Orleans fans. Uh, it, it was, it was like uh, they they were they were bawling in tears everywhere. It was it was not like any other football game for for that franchise and for that team and for that fan base. It was you know this is five years after Katrina. Um, you know people probably thought Mid- Midland never play football in this you know stadium again or whatever it was, and and to, for them to to win that game in that fashion. Uh, after I mean it, that that was almost a miracle, you know the way is thirty one first downs to fifteen first downs, and we just total domination. But then to somehow lose that game, it was almost like a divine thing for the Saints that they just you know they were just going to win that game that day. It was just not going to happen for the Vikings. Ryan Longwell, how's it going, Ryan? Very well. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank yeah. you, sir. Pr- appreciate that. So, what do you remember most about? That championship game against the Saints. Um, what what stands out when you think back to the the peak moments and the low moments in that game? Like what when you reminisce, or do you just try to avoid it mentally altogether, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny how like kind of life happens, but to this day, um, you know, Sarah and the kids uh, went to that game, and to this day, because of that game. Uh, my kids think like New Orleans is the worst city on the planet. Like <laughs> they don't want anything to do with it because of, of that game. So, I mean, my memories, I mean, I have a couple of them, but you know, obviously one of them is the, uh, the fumble before halftime. I mean, I thought that was putting the game away, um, which, you know, you go in at halftime with, uh, not as much momentum and then driving down at the end of the game. Um, you know, I, I mean, I remember what I was thinking. I remember what I was feeling and I remember I was feeling, you know, um, in all circumstances, one of the biggest kicks of your life, I was feeling actually really, really calm. So, I mean, I felt like I was, um, you know, really confident. And then, um, obviously, it doesn't go our way. And, so, and then my my final kind of memory from that is, uh, um, you know, seeing Brett in his locker after the game and yeah. just kind of looking at him and knowing, you know, we uh, we played really well. We just didn't win the game on the scoreboard. And uh, so, 
not a lot of, uh, you know, happy memories, <laughs> if you will, but, uh, um, certainly one of the, uh, you know, one of the games that stands out over my, you know, career, no doubt. Of all the things uh, that went went wrong at the end of that day, is there one that stands out? I mean, twelve men or the 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 uh, the PI on Ben. Is there one thing that in your mind still stands out, Ryan? Well, I thought we had uh, kind of momentum. I thought we were driving to get in. You know what I mean? What I would call doable field goal range, meaning basically, you know inside kind of 53, 54 yards where, you know, I could swing at my normal pace and, and get it there rather than the 57, 58 where you got to swing a little harder. Um, so I thought we were going well, and it was really that 12 minute in the huddle, which seemed to just snowball a bunch of different things, you know, which is one, momentum, two, going backwards in yardage, three, the sideline began getting chaotic, um, you know, and it just seemed like that thing just set the series um, of what was to come, you know, in motion. And um, I actually, you know, for all of us that saw Brett uh, after the game and saw his leg over the next couple of days and how bad he was beat up, I mean, I actually don't even think, I mean, it was a big deal. I'm not saying that. But I actually don't even think the interception was as big of a deal um, only because the guy couldn't literally move, you know. And, and so I think it was that 12 men that kind of just stunted the, all the progress we were making to go kick that winner. Do you think you would have made the longer one? Uh, I, I think so. So, I mean, I, all I can judge is, uh, um, you know, high hit in pregame. And the thing about, you know, not getting too, uh, you know, detailed here, but the thing about when you play in dome stadiums is it's always colder in pregame because the fans aren't in there. And so the ball doesn't fly as far. And so I hit a 53-yarder in pregame going that same direction that reached the bottom of the net. And the bottom of the net in the Superdome is – you know, seven to eight yards behind the goalpost, and that was with it cold, without adrenaline. So I felt like once we got past midfield, I was well within range, and I, I mean, I was sitting pretty good that day. So uh, I just felt like that was kind of, you know, our time and my time, and, and I was going to put a good hit on it. And then it was not going to be short. I mean, I knew that, that uh, we were well within range. So, uh, Sideline-wise, what transpired there? I, I mean, now so far, after the fact, when, when you talk about uh, the chaos that came up, what started to, to go wrong? Because as I recall, you, you guys called a timeout, right? And and it was coming out of that timeout then that the 12 men occurred. What sort of went wrong there as far as the chaos that did occur on that sideline, Ryan? Well, I mean, I don't know the nuts and bolts of it as far as, you know, offensively play calls and formations, but, I you know, I know... Chili and Bev um, each had, you know, kind of called different things. And, and uh, um, you know, it was different formations, which includes different, you know, whether, um, you know, the fullbacks in the game or not. And, and then, uh, you know, I was so far down the field the other way getting ready to go kick um, that uh, I just saw, you know, you can kind of see communication from afar, even though you don't need to hear it. And I just saw between them and um, even, you know, talking to Murph, um, you know, my special teams coach, Brian Murphy, and, and he was telling them, we're still okay, we're still in range, you know, just, just let's not go backwards any further, you know. Um, and uh, so you could kind of tell that it was uh, a little more scramble mode after that than it had been on that drive previously. Hey, before we uh, let you go, uh, what is, just for fun, what's your favorite behind-the-scenes Brett Favre or 2009 Viking story that maybe the the public hasn't heard? Some fun anecdote or some fun story that you could share with us? Well, I mean, there's a, a ton of fun ones. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, 
just being around him for so many years, I've heard, you know, heard a lot of his spiels and, and seen a lot of his stuff. But, uh, um, I, I just remember, uh, um, you know, when we were in, uh, Cleveland was our opener in 09. And, you know, Brett, like myself, had come from the Packers for so many years. And we go to the locker room and I, and when he gets there, I'll never forget, he looks at his locker. And uh, he kind of looks at me and looks back, and it's obviously his Viking stuff. And he goes, "Man, I may be too old for white pants, <laughs> you know." And for him, you know, who a guy who'd always been in the yellow pants and everything, yep. he's thinking about you know putting on the white uniform and the white pants, and uh, you know, at his age, uh, may not be the uh, I don't know the uh, the sexiest ensemble he was putting on, but he always had a way. I will say this about him. He always had a way of taking, like, the expectation and the pressure and the heat off any moment. And uh, that's why he was so good at guys rallying around him. Because whether it was in the huddle, whether it was in the locker room, whether it was the night before, he always had a way of, of breaking the ice and making guys feel relaxed. And that's probably his biggest asset that he had going for him. He did look kind of weird in white pants. He did. Like, <laughs> well, the, the Viking jersey looked super odd. That that helmet on Favre looked completely it, it, foreign. It looked like even in person, it looked like a Photoshop job, yes. like an in-person Photoshop job, Ryan. It was completely <laughs> bizarre, Ryan. Yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, you know, we've, after so many years of seeing one thing, uh, you know, changes uh, change makes you look at things a little differently. <laughs> and now we welcome in Vikings quarterbacks coach during that 2009 season. Kevin Rogers, for some perspective from his point of view on what happened toward the end of the game. Fire away, Sage. Tell me about, you know, from your angle uh, that, you know, you're in the press box, obviously, but let uh, give me a couple things, two questions. That NFC Championship game, um, mm. you know, when Brett threw the interception, what happened uh, in, in your mind, like uh, in just your experience, and then in the locker room after that game, uh, as you know, as as we're all in there, uh, it was you know it was like a funeral in there. But Brett walking in, and obviously you know you were you were hanging out around the quarterbacks and and people walking up to Favre and and the things that they were saying. Tell me about those two things: the actual interception on what well, do we call it? We call it H six Z snag, I believe was it. Oh, how about you, man? Unbelievable. <laughs> bunch right. Uh, yeah, bunch right. Hey, bunch right. Z orbit H six Z snag. <laughs> Oh God! Here's here was the deal. Though. Uh, we had a substitution issue when we called that play. Uh, we had two main men on the field, and it was right after we had hit Sydney down the middle of the field, and we we're kind of in range for Longwell. But that 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 five yard penalty, you know, kind of knocked us out of any real possibility for Longwell to make it because you know. Rye was one of those guys, he could hit it from 45, but once you got past that, you know, it was a coin toss. I believe it was a 50, it went from 51 to 56, I believe. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then what happened was we had the wrong personnel on the field. I think we had 12 men on the field. We got flagged for it. Well, we didn't change the play. We called the same play again. And they had changed the defense. Now, had we run the play, you know, it was a play that was designed against man-to-man coverage, okay? And we got man-to-man coverage on the delay. Well, we called it again, and they switched the coverage. I believe we just got – I think it was just plain old cover two. Yep. 
And uh, he threw the ball back cross field, and that was the corner who was squatted to the field. And it was like, oh, my God. You know, because, I mean, it was such an effort. And to, to have it end that anticlimactically was, was unbelievable. Uh, and then now you look at the rules. You know, we would have been playing today to score a touchdown, not a field goal. We would have at least gotten the ball back. But, you know, we lost the toss and never got the ball back. Game, set, match, you know, we're out of the Super Bowl. Uh, but it, it was, it was ab- absolutely devastating. And uh, I think coming in the locker room after that game, uh, you know, I think Brett knew he was done. You know what I mean? In, in his mind, that was, you know, the coup de grace. You know, that was the end of his career. And, uh, you know, he was crying just, you know, just like uh, it was a high school game and you lost the state championship game with no time left. I mean, he's a kid at heart, and that's the way he took it. And uh, it was uh, it was awful. It was it was a terrible feeling to 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 put as much work uh, as we did into that game to play as hard and as well as we played, and then just to lose it at the again uh, at the end of the game on a a field goal in overtime. But uh, it was it was it was an amazing amazing night and uh, you know we have we did things I mean Brett got annihilated I mean sometimes I, I've gone back and watched that game and seen some of the hits that he took during the course of that game and uh, you know flat bluntly uh, a lot of those hits were you know cause for expulsion never mind uh, a penalty but uh, that's all I can say about it I guess. Ten years after the fact on the interception, I now have to ask Kevin and Sage this question. If you go back and watch that play, Bernard Berrien is on the your sideline fairly open, if not open. And Brett obviously came back as he's rolling to his right, I believe, and tries to throw it to Sydney. Yes. Uh, why, is, there, is there a football explanation of why he didn't dump the ball off to Berrien, who could have stepped out of bounds? And, and at that point, I think the field goal would have been incredibly manageable for Ryan. Uh, no, no, no reason. I just think he came off the read too quickly. I think he, uh, he was looking for a corner out, and uh, you know it wasn't there, and he came backside. So yeah, what what happens on that play is uh, you know it's a it's a play with good protection because it's good versus all these blitzes. But if you get you know two outside, basically the running back who's the guy blocking the end man in the line of scrimmage, you have an issue, right? So, uh, but really on that play, what happened was you know Bernard played what a lot of times you see the fullback, uh, it's sort of the fullback role. Uh, but we had a three wide receiver set with no fullbacks in the game. And Bernard has the flat route, uh, and then Shanko has the corner route, and then uh, Sidney Rice has about a five-yard little we call a snag route, but it's uh, you know just sort of find a little soft spot in there. So it's really you know it's flat, it's corner, it's snag. And when they checked to cover two, I think they were actually originally in man-to-man, but when we came out in this bunch set, teams don't like to play man and bunch, and so they, they audible to cover check two. They checked to cover two. Yeah. Well, Favre saw that. He comes out of the fake, and Bernard wasn't open right off the bat. Hmm. Well, if, because the corner is like a squat corner, basically. And when that happens, well, a lot of times you have the corner route Ends up being open because the the uh, the cornerback is playing you know sort of too tight to the line of scrimmage and, and taking away that flat. So I think he initially took away the flat. Then Favre looked to the corner, and by that time, then the cornerback sinks back to the corner route, and then Bernard ends up ends up being open as sort of like a late number three. 
But that time, Favre was rolling out of the pocket, and I think just sort of didn't get back to him. Uh, and usually you don't. Usually it's sort of one, two, three, but this would be like one, two, three, back to one you know, type of scenario. So it seems like, yeah, he's wide open, but you know, that's like going back to somebody who was your first read, but now he's, you know, he's open because he's the fourth read in, in, in the progression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a great explanation right there. Yeah. I'm a correct in saying that was the second time in a row we called it, right? Th- that is called that it on. <laughs> that is correct. We were discussing that uh, <laughs> off the air that I believe it was like a third and two, third and three, and, and we called this play, and I was sitting there going like, you know, I would think we should just run the football to Adrian yeah. and just get our zero yards and kick that. I, I trust Longwell, 51-yarder with all the adrenaline, and, and I think he'll, I think he'll make it. We'll go to the Super Bowl and, and uh, you know, all those things. And then we got the 12 men in the huddle because the thing is, as I said before, usually that Bernard spot is a fullback spot you see it all the time and so the the fullback and bernard were both in the game because we actually had the same play out of different personnel groups and i think that i think people uh sort of said the side hey we're running h6z snag and then i think you know the fullback automatically thought in his mind oh yeah that's that's the fullback play but in that week's game plan we, we also had it in uh with Bernard as sort of the fullback role, and that's what sort of screwed the whole thing up. And and uh, um, yeah, t- you've been in a lot of football games. You know, long time. How long did you end up coaching for college and pro football? Thirty five plus years. Forty six. Forty six years. Forty six years of, of co- yeah. was that game the most memorable game that you played in or you coached in? Uh, it's the most memorable loss. You know. Yeah. But uh, not the most memorable game. I mean, the uh, but without a doubt, the most devastating thing that happened to me after a game, without a doubt, you know, I think it just changed everything. And we we go from, you know, and I, I tell you what, you know, uh, no offense to uh, the Colts, but I, you know, we're better than the Colts. I mean, we we were gonna we we're gonna win a Super Bowl, you know. So Sage, do you? I guess two part question for you, and then if you could speak on behalf of the vibe in the locker room and the and and your teammates and coaches, is it a feeling of anger? Is it a feeling of sadness? Is it is is it a blame game? I mean, what is what is the ulti- what was the ultimate feeling in the aftermath? And then when you look back now, ten years later, at the missed opportunity, so. That locker room, the quarterbacks were like the first uh, seats as you walk into the locker room from the field to your left. There was the you know three quarterback seats: Brett, Tavares, and myself. And I remember sitting there next to T. Jack, and we're just, you know, he's you know, you're almost just sh- like you're in shock. You're in this sort of like I cannot believe that all just happened. I mean, not even just the end, like the whole game, you know. And it's you start to like. We, you know, put try to piece it together almost right off the bat. Like what what happened out there? You know, um, and then I just remember Brett walks in and he is completely beat up. Uh, he's already got you know bruises. Usually take a little bit of time to to develop. He was already like black and blue. You know, with his arms and some spots in his legs and and I remember like ownership the Wilfs walking up to him. Uh, I remember Rick Spielman walking up to him and, and giving a big hug and say, like, I've never seen a warrior compete like that in my life. 
Uh, I remember Rob Brzezinski, like sort of almost everyone in the organization. Um, and Brett was crying. Uh, a lot of guys were crying. Uh, you know, it's weird seeing 350 pound grown men, uh, you know, in complete tears because for a lot of guys, you know, guys like Pat Williams, I don't, I don't remember if he was crying or not, but you know, a lot of guys, they knew this was it, you know, guys that uh, had been a while, been around the league for a while, uh, you know, been in the league for, you know, eight or 10 years. You just know it's not easy to get to this spot and it's not easy. And you have to have a great quarterback. They've got a great team and we had all of that. And the chance of that sort of being put together again uh, it may not ever happen for most of these guys. So this was sort of this might have been it. And um, so it was a it was incredibly sad locker room, um, like deep sadness, uh, you know, all over. And, you know, um, again, I just I remember just sort of sitting there, not just, you know, I, I, I don't even I think I just sort of sat there, didn't take off my pads or anything for a while and just sort of sat there for maybe like a. 20 or 30 minutes, you know, and just like in no hurry to get out of there because it was just like, um, I had to, I was still processing all of it. And I think a lot of guys were, you know, it may be taken twice as long for us to get out of the locker room, get on the bus and get over to the, the, uh, the airport than, than a regular game. Um, it, it, everyone was trying to process the whole thing because none of it made sense. It just didn't make sense to dominate a game like that. To play that well and then to lose. Yeah. Uh, last two minutes here, Judd. I, I'm on record saying I think I still think '98 was worse, just because I don't think people saw it coming. I think people were bracing for this throughout the entire game, and then they let their guard down, and then boom, punch to the gut. Where do you think this falls among Vikings disappointments? Um, the, the fact that there was a road game as well, I, I think braced people a little bit because '98 was a complete home. Run. I mean, they they won. They had the week off, won at home, and then had the Falcons down in the first half. Uh, and the Falcons weren't that good that year. No, they, they were not. The Saints they, were thirteen and three. It's funny because the Falcons were actually like fourteen and two. But 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 they like, were sort of they, a, Chris Chandler was their starting. They were sort of a and, soft fourteen and two, yeah. if, if that makes sense. And and the ninety eight Vikings, to be very clear, were the ninety nine Rams before the, those Rams teams. I mean, this yeah, was a, the greatest show. They on were the turf. Lakers basically. Yeah. With Moss. Uh, that being said, the Favre dynamic in 2009 changed the entire thing, I thought. And I've always wondered, if Favre, if you guys had won that game and had gone on and played the Colts and won the Super Bowl, and this sounds weird now, but what's the dynamic of Favre's relationship with the Packers now? And I almost think, and I know it's just a year or so, I almost think the Vikings retire number four at that point. Yeah. Which sounds really crazy, but, I agree. but think about it. It's the ultimate bleep you to the team that they hate the most. <laughs> and, it and is. Sage it is. To your, That's and true. Sage, to your point, Brett's season was off the charts. It wasn't, oh, this is sort of a nice story. It was one of the best seasons of a Hall of Fame career. No, no, it was. He showed up two weeks before the first game. Yes. And it was the best year of his career. And people talk about, you know, timing, you know, you got to build timing in the offseason, the OTAs and all these things. He built timing in like a couple days, you know, he just figured every, and he'd been around so many players and he just sort of knew like, oh, I've been around like a Percy Harvin type. I've been around a Sidney Rice type guy. He could, he could just fit anybody and find ways to get them the ball. And there was like no learning curve uh, for him. And he had the best year of his career showing up two weeks before camp with a bunch of guys he didn't know. Uh, did help that he knew the offense, like the back of his hand. Um, but uh, 
that that was uh yeah I I could see he he definitely would have retired if we would have won that Super Bowl it would have been like a stray hand type of deal he would have walked out the sunset no chance he would have come back the next year at all um and we, we I don't are we gonna get to the next year we 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 could talk about almost like the next year a little bit that could be another episode. That, that'll be an episode down yeah. the road yeah two thousand ten now yeah. you have to bring somebody else in because I was only the part of it uh, you know one of the last uh, my my only my only comment about the, the next year and maybe we'll do another podcast <laughs> was that he comes back the second time. He actually, actually, I called him because people were all talking about. And I was like, "Hey, what are you going to do here? You know, my kids are starting school, whatever." He's like, "Yeah, you know, the Vikings are they're they're throwing a lot of money at me, and I know we got a good team. We have a chance to win it again. I'm just not really sure." And next, you know, he shows up, and we're on the uh, we're in that walkthrough uh, before we play this preseason game, and and I'm standing there like, "Well, it looks like we're going to do this thing again," you know. And and and, and Chili walks up to me and he goes, "Well, Sage." What would you like in this situation now that Brett's back again? Would you like to be on the team? Would you like to be traded? You know, would you like to us to release you? Like, what do you sort of think? And I go, well, Brad, you know, I, I had a great time last year, which I did. You know, again, third string quarterback, making a lot of money. It was awesome. Um, you know, I love Minneapolis. My kids are, you know, basically signed up for school at that point or whatever. And, and I said, you know, I, I think we can make a run at this thing again. I'd love to be a part of it. You know, support Brett, be the good soldier. Uh, I think we can win it this year. And uh, like a week later, he traded me to the Giants. Yeah. You know, so, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so that was the end of that. But uh, yeah, that 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 championship game, uh, I, I think it, it will uh, go down. Uh, it's it one of the greatest games in NFL history. And uh, of all the things going around it to New Orleans and and Hurricane Katrina and Favre's return to basically his hometown team and just how that game played out and how he played the whole year. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a five months that I will, you know, remember these fine details of for the rest of my life that I just will not forget. They are, uh, burnt into my memory, uh, and they left some scars and now we're ripping them all off. So, (laughs) well, this has been, uh, this has been therapeutic. It's been fun. Sage Rosenfels, we appreciate it. Judd Zolgad, and uh, this has been Minnesota Sports Rewind, 2009 Vikings edition.